Good morning. It is lovely to see you all this morning. Um, my name is Rachel. As you will have probably worked out now, the pudding and I are the pastors at this church. Um, it is lovely to see you, especially if you are visiting, passing through for Christmas. Um, I hope you're all feeling suitably festive. If Jesse in that jumper is not enough to get you in the spirit, then I don't know what is. Well done, Jesse. We love you. So, This morning is part four in our Advent series, The Light Came Down, where we've been thinking about Christmas from heaven's perspective. We're so used to the little nativity scene that we can sometimes forget to take a step back and ponder the cosmic consequence of Christmas. So that's what we're trying to do. We started off with Jeremy, or perhaps better to say the brilliant children, looking at God's big plan how he wrote himself into the story of this world. Jesse then gave us a fascinating overview of all of the prophecies that had been pointing to Jesus throughout all of human history. And then Zach zoomed in, Zach zoomed, Zach zoomed into two of the most important characters in the story, Mary and Joseph, two normal people who chose to say their yes to God's promises. This morning, we're talking about the people who were the first to hear the good news that the long-awaited Savior had been born, the shepherds and the magi. The main thing I want us to think about this morning is that the first people God chose to tell about the birth of Jesus were some of the most unlikely candidates for the job. For the all-important task of going to find the baby Jesus and spreading the good news of his birth, God chose some socially insignificant men who lived in a field with their sheep and a group of foreigners who put their faith in the stars. God loves the unlikelies. Our passages this morning are Luke chapter 2, verses 6 to 18 for the shepherds, and then Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 for the Magi. So our passages this morning are going to be read by Caitlin, my curly-haired twin, and my mum. So could the two of you join me up here and we will read the passages. So first it's Luke chapter 2, verses 6 to 18 for the shepherds. So while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good, great good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, 
they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Thanks, Mum. She comes to visit and I'm like, hey, you've got a job. (laughs) And now it's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12 for the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thanks, team. Let's start by looking at our first group of unlikelies then, the shepherds. Shepherding was a humble trade, one that didn't earn you much money or get you very high up in social circles. And there probably wasn't much need for education. And I don't know how much time you've spent around farm animals, but it's not the kind of job that leaves you smelling of roses. I can't imagine that this group did. They were living in the fields with their sheep and watching over them. But then came the most extraordinary night shift. It was dark. It was probably a fairly silent night, one might say. And then an angel appeared, just like that. And if you can think of that without seeing Jeremy in a giant pair of wings. (laughs) Verse 10. The shepherds were so freaked out that the angel had to open with, do not be afraid. I'm not sure how reassured I would have been by that. And with the glory of the Lord shining around, the angel says he's got something to tell them. Clearly, this is some major announcement. I wonder if at this point the shepherds thought to themselves, whatever this is, why are you coming to us with it? Surely there must be more qualified messengers and more credible witnesses than us outcasts. If I'd been one of the shepherds at this point, I'm fairly sure I'd have asked them if they were lost. But no, this is exactly how it was meant to be. 
It was good news, and it was for everyone. And the angel really spelled out the message for them. Verse 11, it says, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. I actually find that verse really hard to read out loud because I don't know which bit to emphasize. It all seems massive. So in that sentence, they've got a when, a where, and a who. People knew that one day there would be a Messiah who would come from Bethlehem and that Bethlehem was David's town. And using the words Savior, Messiah, and Lord to describe the same person is in fact news that's worthy of delivery by an angel. Could this Messiah actually be God himself? Not only that, but this Savior was born to them, the lowly shepherds, not the temple priests, not the metropolitan elite, the shepherds. Their heads must have been spinning. As if all that wasn't enough for them to get their heads around, the angel tells the shepherds that it's their job to go and look for this baby. And the angel's pretty clear with those instructions too. In verse 12, it says, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The shepherds at this point can be in no doubt that this is a message for them. Now, after signs and wonders galore, the only thing left for the shepherds to do is to go and find this baby. The heavenly visitors had given them everything they needed. They knew this was a message from heaven, and they really expected to find the baby. I wonder, when God says something to us that we can't mistake the meaning of, are we this quick to respond? Are we trusting like the shepherds were, even though they were terrified by these glowing visitors? I admire their faith. They received their instructions, and they went. They didn't hang around or sit on it for ages. They went, and their faith was rewarded. There was Jesus in the manger, exactly as they had been told. I'm much more of a ditherer, much more prone to asking, Lord, did you really say again and again until I finally give in and acknowledge that how I heard it the first time was right? I think I should be more like the shepherds. After having met the baby Jesus and seeing that it all happened as the angel said it would, the shepherds cannot help but share the good news with all around them in verse 17. The events of this extraordinary night shift had completely changed them and they naturally wanted to share the good news. One of the things that struck me living in these passages this week has been the shepherd's enthusiasm to find Jesus and then tell everyone about it. The good news of Jesus is just as good news to us today as it was for them then. News of a savior born to each and every one of us should still be reason for great joy and celebration. 
Perhaps this festive season would be a good opportunity to spend some time thinking about how good this news is for us. I wonder what people made of the story the shepherds told them. I wonder what difference it made that the story came from shepherds. Maybe that's part of what people were amazed by. You were visited by who? Who said what? Nah, mate. God wouldn't be using the smelly shepherds instead of the temple priests, surely. But he was. This was exactly what God wanted. He wanted to use specifically them, despite the smell, probably because of the smell, to have God's great plan revealed to them and for them to be the ones who got to see it for themselves and share the good news. God uses the unlikelies. He used the shepherds, and just like he used them, he wants to use us, whatever our state or status. He wants to use the people we don't pay much attention to. Have you ever noticed how the least likely people in our eyes often make the absolute best evangelists, healers, prophets, preachers? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29 says this. I'm going to read this in NLT, which isn't what will pop up there, but there we go. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So, how have we disqualified ourselves before God because we think that we're not likely or a suitable candidate. We might be lowly, we might be weak, and we might seem as unappealing as shepherds who live in a field all night surrounded by sheep. But that's exactly the kind of people God's looking for. On to our next group of unlikelies then, the Magi from the East. Who were they anyway? We sometimes call them wise men or kings because we don't really have an easy way of understanding what these guys were in the English language. However, I will refrain from making this a sermon about the limits of translation. <laughs> buy me a coffee and we can have that chat. Just buy me a coffee. <laughs> Magi is a Babylonian name for someone who's an astrologer, dream interpreter, wizard type. In a nutshell, they were mixed up in the wrong kind of spirituality. Not wrong in the sense that they were just a bit mistaken. Wrong in the sense that they were actively engaging with spiritual forces in opposition to God. A dangerous business. Just like the shepherds, though, the Magi are another group of chosen outsiders. Spiritual outsiders and geographical outsiders. 
How fascinating, how challenging that God would choose to go after these guys who are spiritually on the wrong side of the tracks. What a challenge to us about who we think God can reach or not. How did this group of unlikelies come to find out about the birth of Jesus then? Well, they had a bit of working out to do. The shepherd's visit from the angels was both impossible to miss and impossible to misunderstand. The magi who studied the stars saw something in the sky that caught their attention. Now, there are a whole pile of interesting theories as to what this star that they saw was. A supernova, a comet, a planetary triple conjunction. Unfortunately, I have neither the time nor the brain space to analyze these for you this morning. You're welcome. If you're interested, though, feel free to go and ask Jim, Jesse, or Jeremy. Anyone with a theology degree and a name beginning with J. <laughs> also Jack, you can ask him too. Being the simple soul that I am, I'm content with God put it there. And that's the main point. God spoke to this group of spiritual outcasts in their language. He put a bright shining object in the sky that he knew they could interpret as being a sign of the birth of the king of the Jews. And this was a significant enough sign to them that they decided to pack their treasure chests and make the trek to where they expected such a child to be born. It's curious that the Magi say that they've come to worship him in verse 2. Remember that these are not God's people. They're into other spirituality. They're not just neutral in the middle. These guys are firmly on the wrong side. But their receptiveness, their desire to worship this king of the Jews is pretty astounding. And I think this is a good reminder to us to not make quick judgments on who we think will or won't be responsive to us introducing them to Jesus. They could be as far away as can be they could be devout followers of some other kind of spirituality, but no one is unreachable to God. He wants everyone to know him and know his love. Speaking of people who seem unreachable, in verse 3, we meet Herod. In a nutshell, he doesn't like the sound of this new king. His rule is unstable enough as it is. So he consults his experts and sends the Magi off to do his research for him. And just like the shepherds, when the Magi find Jesus in verse 10, they're delighted when it turns out that what they believed they were going to find really was there. The Magi followed their astrology right the way to Jesus which they then left hovering above the door and they turned their worship to Jesus. It actually worked. Their star was real. God planted a signpost for these outsiders amongst their star sign theories to be able to go and worship the truth himself. And their gifts 
of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were prophetic symbols of Jesus' life. Gold for a king, frankincense for worship, and myrrh for burial. So it seems like it wasn't just the location that God had been speaking to them about. As if all that revelation wasn't enough, it's not long before they're having prophetic dreams too. Having just met Jesus and stayed to worship him, verse 12 tells us that God warned the Magi not to go back to Herod. So that's exactly what they did. They'd hardly been on board with Jesus for five minutes before they were clearly hearing from God in dreams. How's that for grace? What's so great about all of this is that God didn't require them to abandon what they believed before he was willing to speak to them and use them for one of the most important missions ever. He actually used their questionable spirituality to turn them around and point them to him. He invited them into this plan long before they believed in him. What a generous God. God loves the unlikelies. We might now be 2,000 years away from God's revelation to the shepherds and the magi. But I think the fact that God using these two groups of unlikelies has things to say to us today. I think God revealing the plan to the shepherds before anyone else was a statement of intent. God wanted to use the unlikelies to announce the birth of Jesus because he's always chosen the unlikelies. And he wanted us to know that this wasn't going to change with Jesus or ever. The arrival of Jesus might have meant a big shift in how God interacted with humanity. And Jesus might have been born a king. But he was a king who came to have dinner with tax collectors, hang out with lepers, and eat with sinners. Mark chapter 2, 16 and 17 says this. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. God is still in the business of rescuing and recruiting the unlikelies. It's not just that he isn't put off by weak people or sinners. It's that he actually looks for and wants to use people who are weak and whose lives look anything other than holy. And that means we shouldn't discount ourselves or other people from being used by God because we or they seem an unlikely choice. In fact, we should be keenly aware of the unlikelies because maybe those are the ones God is most powerfully at work in at the moment. I think it also tells us that Jesus brings the people we are most likely to dismiss 
right into the middle of the story. Jesus' birth was announced to the world by the nobody shepherds. The first recorded worship of Jesus was from a bunch of dodgy spiritual types, and his resurrection was revealed to a woman. Imagine. Sorry. I think we need to be really careful that we don't get in the way of God's work by dismissing people just because the rest of society does. Let's make sure that in our church and our lives, God has room to do whatever he wants with whoever he wants. And what about the story of the Magi? What can we take from that for today? I think we can take from this that God is a God of big, big turnarounds. That no one is too far away from God for God to reach. The Magi were following another religion, but God is powerful enough and loving enough that he went after them and literally brought them to Jesus. The Apostle Paul is another pretty great example of a massive turnaround, and look how well that went for the kingdom. No sinner is too sinful to be rescued. We can take this as encouragement that no matter how much of a mess we feel, no matter how far from God we think we might be, he is always looking out for us, inviting us to make a journey back to him. Similarly, I think this shows that we don't need to be sorted before God can meet us and use us powerfully. God knows that it's often a real meeting with him and an experience of his love that changes people. Rather than giving the Magi an ultimatum of leave your dodgy spirituality and then I'll show you the real stuff, he just led them to Jesus and they began to worship. Then about 30 years later, grown-up Jesus invited himself over for dinner at Zacchaeus' house and that was enough for Zacchaeus to completely change his ways. Can't turn the page. We'll get there. It's all right. Thinking time. Can you turn my page for me? Classy. My conclusion, then, from all of this, is that the stories of the shepherds and the magi are stories of God speaking to and using the unlikelies. He's still in the business of going after the unlikelies. By choosing to reveal the birth of Jesus to the shepherds before he told anyone else, God reminds us that you don't need a great level of education. You don't need to be the most important person in town. You don't need a theology degree. And you don't even need to smell nice. Jesus' birth is good news for the unlikelies. It's good news for the homeless and the addicts, the pagans and the unemployed. It's good news for you. And it's good news even for me. And from the story of the Magi, we can be assured that no one, no one is too far away for God to reach. 
The Magi were the unlikelies and that their spiritual focus was elsewhere. Yet in his kindness, God intervenes and turns them right around. Using the stuff that they believed in at the time to direct them straight to Jesus' front door. And we can also be reassured that people don't need to be sorted for God to speak to them. We can, and we should, make sure we're as close to Jesus as possible. But we need to remember that even our failures don't discount us. Oh, hey, Jordan. How am I supposed to concentrate with that, honestly? Anyway. The fact that God chooses to speak to us and use the unlikelies is both a challenge and an encouragement to us today. It's a challenge in that we need to make sure we don't reject people for the same reasons the world rejects people. If God sees great potential in the unlikelies and the outcasts, then so should we. If God is speaking to us through the unlikelies, then we should be willing to listen. And it's an encouragement to hold on to the truth that we're never too far away from God for him to radically intervene and introduce himself to us. No one is too far away. If you've got a friend or a family member who you think is the most unlikely of the unlikelies to meet Jesus, then I encourage you to think on the story of the Magi as you pray for them. And take heart. Who knows what God might use to reach them and when. So there we have it. The shepherds and the magi. The outcasts and the unlikelies. Powerfully chosen by God to reveal the most important message in the history of everything. And helpfully recorded by Matthew and Luke to remind us that we are all unlikely in some way, but that we should never discount ourselves or anyone else based on our ideas of who we think God would and wouldn't use. God loves the unlikelies. Why don't you stand? Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your radical reaching in love. I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each of us, even and especially if we've discounted ourselves. Father, I pray that you would reassure us this Christmas of your love. Would you remind us that you did, in fact, come for us? I pray that you would encourage us to walk with you closely. Would you be continuing to reveal your great plan for each of us? More of you, Jesus, especially in this season. Amen.